changes. What's the Word? Brought to you by Columbia Baptist Church in Columbia, Kentucky on 101.9 WAIN. I am Randy Johnson, the senior pastor at Columbia Baptist Church, and thank you for joining us every Wednesday night at 6 o'clock right here on 101.9 WAIN. Well, good evening once again, and welcome to What's the Word? This is Randy Johnson, the first Wednesday of February. Can you believe that the month of January finally ended? I have many people on social media, and it just seemed like January went on forever. And several had made that same comment, that January was the longest year, (laughs) and it seemed like it took forever to get through the first month. But here we are in February. The Super Bowl is behind us. We have spring to look forward to. Uh, Major League Baseball, if any of you care about that. Um, There's lots of things that we look forward to in the spring, but I think all of us can agree, warmer weather, maybe not the hot of the summer, but the little slight more pleasant, enjoyable outdoor weather in the spring is always a plus. And so that's another thing to look forward to. But this first Wednesday of February. I'm thankful that you have joined me on 101.9 WAIN or 1270 AM, or maybe you're streaming live on 1019WAIN.com. And if you are, thank you so much for joining me this evening. And as I mention every week, if you miss any part of this show, you can listen to the entire one hour episode tomorrow on my podcast which is called walk this way and you can find it at anchor.fm backslash walk this way on the internet you can find it on google spotify itunes pocket casts those are the ones that spreaker there's there's several that you can find it on uh, and i hope that you will i hope that you'll like the podcast you'll subscribe to it That way you'll get updates when I upload sermons that I preach at Columbia Baptist Church or other episodes of this show. All 60 of them are on the podcast, and so you can find them there. But again, I'm just thankful that you've joined me tonight. And I hope to bring some interesting perspective, maybe, on some hot-button issues And I certainly have a couple of those tonight. You know, whenever the Super Bowl rolls around, there's a couple of things that always tend to happen. And of course, for those of you that don't like professional football or don't watch professional football, the Super Bowl was this past Sunday, just FYI. But usually this time of the year when the Super Bowl rolls around, a couple of things happen. One, there's a lot of buzz about commercials. Um, the millions of dollars that companies spend for a 30-second commercial during the Super Bowl, knowing that millions and millions of people are watching and they're hoping that they can create some buzz and excitement about whatever product they're wanting to sell. Another thing that always happens, of course, the game. You know, who's playing? Where are they playing? Who's favored? You know, some people actually enjoy the Super Bowl game. But the other part of the buzz is the halftime show. Who's performing? 
What songs are they going to sing? How awesome is it going to be? What are the lights, the sounds, the stage, the all of the special effects? You know, what's it going to be like? And I have some thoughts on this year's Super Bowl uh, halftime show. And some of my comments may be well-received. Some of them you may find um, that you disagree with. But you are always welcome to email me anytime about anything. My email address is randy at columbiababtist.com. And I'd love to hear from you if you have some insights uh, about this show or if there are some topics that you would like to hear. I would love to hear that. I'm always looking for good material, new material, new direction on some of the different shows. But the topics that I want to cover tonight, of course, I do want to talk about the Super Bowl. I do want to talk about the halftime show. There's lots of layers to that beyond just what actually took place on the stage or the, literally the, the entire football field. But I also want to talk about some of the backstories of things, some of the undercurrents of, of things. But the story that I want to lead with is sort of going to pave the way for part of the Super Bowl talk of the halftime show. I came across a story that took place on February the 3rd. And so that was two days ago, Monday, Monday evening in Saline, Michigan. There was a parent conference, I guess would be a good way to say it, maybe a parent forum, in the library of a high school. And the forum was designed to talk about discrimination that these parents' high school students had been facing. There were some African American, there were some Asian, there were some Hispanic, and there were some white parents there of, of those different uh, nationality backgrounds. And they passed a microphone around, and some of them were sharing stories, as, as the article from the Washington Post described. But they were sharing about their son or daughter and some of the discrimination that they have faced. So as they were passing the microphone around, some of them were just talking about different issues, different things that have come up, uh, different uh, forms of, of discrimination and all of this kind of thing. There was a man that the article pointed out who stood up, and the discrimination that he spoke about was as a former... I guess a, a former resident of Mexico, his family immigrated to, to the United States over 40 years ago. And so this man looked to be in his maybe late 40s, early 50s, maybe a, a few years older than that, but certainly in the late 40s to late 50s range. Had a high schooler. I think he might have had two in the school, either at the same time or at the you know at, at two different times uh, as this kids got older. But he had the microphone and he was talking about the kinds of the the kind of discrimination that his son had been harassed with, and he said, and I'm quoting, that other classmates had had used the name taco 
to talk to his son, enchilada to talk to his son, and, quote, dirty Mexican called his son those things. And the father was saying that his son had come home in tears. And so the, the dad has got the microphone. He's standing up. All these parents are, are sitting there listening. And like I said, from all kinds of different, different ethnic backgrounds. And he's sharing what I just said to you. And then he says, well, I went into my son's room the other night to tell him goodnight. And he's laying there crying and telling me all of the about all the discrimination that he's faced at school. And just as the man paused, his name is Adrian Iraola. Just as Adrian paused after saying that, a man, maybe one or no more than two rows behind where this man was standing, a white man said, and I quote, then why didn't you stay in Mexico? This caused quite an uproar which was partly why this article was written. Because here you have a man of Hispanic origin who has been in the United States for 40 years, over 40 years, he and his family, and has quite obviously in that 40-year time span raised his own children as natural-born American citizens with Hispanic origin or ethnicity in their past. And they're still hearing this kind of belittling, this kind of name-calling, and this kind of racial attack in high school. And as the dad is sharing his heart and his heartbreak for his son, a white man says, then why didn't you stay in Mexico? After there was quite an uproar and several people, including some older white ladies telling this man, you need to leave, telling the white man who said that you need to leave. They went back to Mr. Adrian and they asked him, well, why don't you answer that question? To which Adrian said, why don't, why didn't I stay in Mexico? He said, I'll tell you why, because this is the greatest country in the world. To which the white man, still sitting down, says, but you're complaining about being here. If you put yourself in the, the white man's position for just a moment, what he's trying to say is, that's just part of the deal of being of Hispanic origin, being in this country. You should just expect, the white man is essentially saying, you should just expect that that's going to happen. And if you don't want that to happen, then you should have just stayed in Mexico, is essentially what the white man is saying to this Hispanic gentleman. However, in the room, it is quite obvious that this man who said these things is in the vast minority. And people quickly, I think, came to the defense of the Hispanic man who was talking about his son not being able to emotionally handle being criticized and called these names. And the response then is, well, why didn't you stay in Mexico? Again, I say this, the man is here legally. 
His children were born as legal citizens of the United States. The man who shared this story has been in the United States for 40 years, and this is the response that he has given. I suppose we could argue up one side and down the other of the response of both the man with Hispanic origin and the white man who said what he did. But in any shape, form, or fashion, racism of any kind is ridiculous. I have said this many, many times in the past, and I think it is worth stating here on this show. There is only one race. It is the human race. When we start talking about what language people speak, what color skin they have, what continent they were born on, what their ethnic background is, we are not talking about what race they come from. We are talking about what kind of ethnic background does that person have. When you use the word race, you are only speaking of one classification of people, and that is humankind. We are all the same. Yes, we speak different languages. Yes, we have different eye color, hair color, skin color, foot size, arm length, nose shape. I mean, it is unbelievable the differences. I mean, our fingerprints are different. Our fingernails are shaped different. Our, you know, the height, the weight, everything about us is unique to some degree, but at the core, we are all human beings. We all come from the same God who created Adam and Eve and said, be fruitful and multiply. We all come from the same place. And so for, for me, as a pastor, as a Christian, I cannot fathom the issue of what we call racism of having any intelligence whatsoever. If you want to argue about what country people live in, if you want to argue about what language they speak, if you want to draw a distinction between what color their skin is or whatever, then let's give that a different name. But to say racism is putting one group of people that have one color skin or born in one country over and above another people is just dumb. Racism is dumb. Just because your skin is one color and not another does not make you superior and it does not make you inferior. In the eyes of God, we are all the same. Frankly and very simply put, every single person on the planet is a sinner. Every single person on the planet needs Jesus as a personal Savior and Lord. For any person to be racist is to be small-minded, is to be egocentric, and to think that whatever your ethnic background is, is superior to someone else's. And to me, that is just dumb. I didn't appreciate this man's comment because his comment essentially said, because you came here from another country, you should expect this form of abuse. By the way, that white man, his ancestors came here from another country. I bet it never dawned on him. And I wonder, whatever this man's ethnic, the, the white man's ethnic background is, 
I'm sure whenever that ethnic group of people got to the United States in 18-whatever or 19-whatever, and they became citizens of the United States, I would guarantee you that his, his ethnic background group of people probably received discrimination of some kind. And so for him to assume that this Hispanic man should have just naturally expected to be berated or his son to be berated at school and to be made fun of because his ancestors are from Central America, it's just dumb. It's not okay to group a certain ethnic group together with a food and call somebody the name of a food or to call them a dirty Mexican just because they have the skin color of someone from either Mexico or somewhere in Central America. That's just dumb. It's rude. It's uncalled for. And honestly, no one should be judged based on the color of their skin. Nobody should be judged based on what continent they're born on or what country they speak or what language they speak or or what country they're they're born. None of us should be classified as more or less important to the rest of the world because of our skin color or language we speak or whatever. I just, I've never understood racism. I did not grow up in a racist family. I've told stories many, many times about how my my own dad modeled anti-racism to me. My dad loves everybody. My dad talks to people the same. He treats everybody the same. He modeled that for me when I was a child. And my dad never adjusted his behavior, his character, or his speech or or anything about his life based on who he was talking to, whether society would say that person was upper class, middle class, lower class, or no class. My dad modeled for me, treat everybody as though you want to be treated. Treat everybody equally. And that's the, the kind of home that I grew up in. And so I don't understand what, what Americans call racism. I don't understand this culture of my ethnic people group is better than your ethnic people group. I just think it's dumb. I have many other words to call it, but I think I've made my point. Anyway, this article just really uh, surprised me. But then again, it didn't. Uh, this was from Saline, uh, Michigan, as I mentioned, and a school system that for whatever reason, they decided to highlight this one. Uh, there have been some some very strong, uh, and, I, and I'm using the term racism because that's the one we understand, even though I think that term uh, should be adjusted, but some racial slurs from football players in the same school district. Uh, earlier this year, they had a, a Snapchat group between high school football players and two of the teammates had used racial slurs and talked of white power earlier this year. That was in the Ann Arbor News there in Michigan. So obviously the teachers and the administrators are well aware of this. What do we do about this? What, what do Christians do about this? i tell you what Christians do about it. We love people. 
the way that God loves people. And the Bible teaches us that God is no respecter of persons. If you're right with God because of your relationship with Jesus, then you're eternally saved. If you're outside of the family of God because you've never repented of your sin, then you're going to be judged after your life is over for the rest of eternity, separated from God in a place called hell. That's the reality of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And God is no respecter of persons saying that he's going to throw an entire race, as, as we call it, or ethnic group of people in hell because of the color of their skin. That's ridiculous. That's not going to happen. People are going to be in heaven based on what did they do with Jesus Christ. Not on what language they spoke, not on what color of their skin, not on what continent they were born on. None of those are factors that that are going to determine where somebody spends eternity. And if that's the case, and we know it is because the Bible says so, then it it shouldn't matter to us. It should not matter to me as a Christian what somebody else's skin color is or or what language they speak. And if you can't tell by now, racism just drives me crazy. I think it is one of the dumbest things, but it is also a very human thing. It's a very sinful nature human thing to say, my background is better than yours. I'm more important than you. It is is such an ingrained part of the human nature that of like a survival of the fittest. We think, well, you know, this group of people is just better than that group of people. And I just, I mean, we all, every ethnic background group of people have strengths and weaknesses, things that perhaps naturally, things that maybe uh, over time, the way that, uh, that, that they adapted to certain living conditions or, you know, whatever it might be, we could nitpick ethnic backgrounds all we want. But to just rank them and say, If somebody said, my ethnic background group of people is better, more important, and whatever, than another, it to me is just dumb. It's just dumb. And it is so, so self-centered, egotistic. But I move on. So I want to say this about the Super Bowl. And before I get into the halftime show, because I I do want to talk a little bit about that. There's been a lot of, I don't know, a lot of chatter. There's just been a lot of um, opinions that have been thrown out about uh, the two female performers, Shakira and Jennifer Lopez, and and their, you know, their performance. But there was a lot more to it than meets the eye. I mean, you wouldn't think so reading social media and looking at, at, at articles and, and people's opinions and editorials about it, you would think that the only thing that was that was on the screen was all flash and and very little uh, outfits and, and, and very little uniform, but a whole lot of skin is, is what you know is, has been thrown out there, been portrayed. But I'm going to say this, the under is some of the underlying or backdrop things about the Super Bowl halftime show. And, and I don't understand why. I I do, but I don't. But I don't understand why performers who are essentially paid to perform, whether it's music, whether it's movies, whether it's television, why 
they choose to take those moments of entertainment and turn them into some kind of a statement. Now, there were lots of statements that were made during the halftime show, and I'm going to get to some of them. But one statement that was made that I thought could have been taken the right way, and I found out later that it really wasn't intended that way, at one point during the show, they had these little light-up, what everybody's calling cages, because that's what they were supposed to represent. And they had children, one child, inside of every cage. Now, one article that I read said that the intention behind the cages was to draw light on the fact that every year during the Super Bowl, they have the highest number of sex trafficking issues of any other day throughout the year. That there is... A, an extremely high number of escort services, of prostitution, of children, and I say children, teenagers being forced into human trafficking situations that they ought not be in. And for many reasons, but during the Super Bowl, uh, and especially that weekend, but even more especially during the game, during that time frame, uh, they have said year after year after year, the FBI does more investigation and more arrests. And this year, the FBI busted uh, 159 or 170, somewhere in their number of people in just one sex trafficking scheme. Um, you know, just a sting rather. So in one sting, you know, they arrest almost 170 people. And that's just one example. So I was led to believe Monday morning that the cages that were shown with the children inside of them were the, was a statement of anti-sex trafficking, which frankly I would be all for. I think that sex trafficking, when I did a show, did, did this radio show two weeks ago or three weeks ago, and highlighted the need for awareness of abortion, sex trafficking, and some of those issues of the sanctity of human life, I think that this is an issue that we need to be talking about more as Christians, and we need to invest more and more into our young people so that they have the self-esteem and the God-shaped identity that they don't need to go into sex trafficking to feel needed and wanted, and that we keep preaching the gospel to people that are involved in that, either taking a part of those services, if you will, or facilitating those services for people that, that pay for that type of... Um, atrocity. But that's not what the cages were for. I I was sad to read that and and come to find out that the cages were supposed to represent the separation of children from parents at the border because of as articles have called it because of 
Trump's wall separating mothers from their their babies. And you know, I got to be honest, I think I, I I think that using those kinds of opportunities to make some kind of a political statement where you don't have the opportunity to be clear about what you mean, to be clear about what actually happens in some of those situations or really how you feel about it. I, I don't want to use the word careless, but I, I, I would just say I, I do think that artists need to be more cautious and careful. Now listen, when movie uh, actors go into you know go on stage to win an award and they get up there and they thank whoever and and whoever whatever uh for all of their love support and all of that stuff and then they make some kind of a political statement i get it they have a lot of people listening and for jennifer lopez in particular she was the one credited with the cage idea she really wanted to flash a light on how she feels about Trump's wall. But that wasn't the only part of drawing attention to those things. She also wanted a strong female vibe of, you know, women power, uh, be anything you want to. There were tons of little girls on the stage, including her own daughter, and wanted them to know how proud that she is personally of those girls. Um, she wanted, as, as she said, we're proud, and I'm quoting her, quote, we are proud to recognize that all of us together are what makes this beautiful country truly great. And again, as she wrote, she said, quote, other people can try to build walls, keep us out, or put us in cages, she said. Talking about migrant children being separated from their families and attempts to limit immigration. Again, I understand the need for making some kind of a statement. And this is a grand stage. I mean, you got millions of people watching and, and all of this. However, I, I do think that that's one of the backstories that probably should have been talked about more than what these two girls wore on stage. Um, I found it, frankly, ironic. I'm just, I'm just going to go ahead and put this out there, that Jennifer Lopez can say, girl power, you know, she said, quote, all I want my girls, the little girls on stage with me and all over the world, to know is how to use their voices and be proud of everything they are, close quote. I wonder, though, then why did she dress the way that she did? Now, for a halftime show, it has to be good. It has to be appealing. It has to be attention-grabbing, or else people are going to turn it off. But if the message that you want to send to little girls is voices need to be heard, proud of everything that you are, why then go the other extreme and flaunt your body and wear as little as possible to try and, and shake everything that your mother gave you, as the old saying goes, up on stage 
and make on the surface, make it about the appearance, but then make your message something deeper that's going to get missed. I think it was a mixed message, and I think it was a lost message. Because whenever you say, we want to celebrate girl power, we want to celebrate women's success, we want to make sure that our, that our young ladies feel affirmed, none of those young girls were dressed the way that Shakira and J-Lo were dressed, thank goodness, that would have been inappropriate then why isn't it inappropriate that two mothers, a 43-year-old mom and a 50-year-old mom, Shakira and, Jay, and and Jennifer Lopez, why is it not inappropriate that they were dressed that way? If the message really is about inspiring young ladies, the message that you're sending with your wardrobe is if you want to inspire men, you're going to have to have most of your clothes off. That's the message that came across. Now, there's a lot of people that are taking issue with that, and I'm just telling you that if your message is one thing and your performance is another, then you're going to get criticized. And there was plenty of that. Um, I'll just say right now, I did not watch the halftime show. We had a uh, Super Bowl watch party here at our church, and we watched the first half. And about 10 seconds before halftime started, uh, before the second quarter was over, I had about 10 seconds left, we went ahead and turned off the video, and I grabbed the microphone with the, with the camera, I mean the, uh, the projector off and the computer off, and I gave a 10-minute uh, devotion about you know living your life for the glory of God, having a kind of a mid-course correction, just like these teams go into the locker room at halftime and adjust what they did wrong, that it's not too late for us to go into our own halftime and ask the Lord, you know, what do I need to do right? What am I doing wrong? What, how do I need to get right? How do I need to stay that way? And that was what my devotion was. So I didn't see the halftime show. I also did not watch it on YouTube. I also did not pull it up and find it on the probably thousands of websites that have the entire halftime show. I didn't see it. I did see an ABC News report that talked about some of the backlash, and they showed maybe a couple of seconds of clips here and there, and that was, that was too much. Uh, if that's what the entire show was like, um, I'm really disappointed. Because when you include things... Now, again... It's all about the message, right? Jennifer Lopez says that she had a pole that she was dancing around. And she says, my inspiration was King Kong on top of the Empire State Building. And that was my inspiration, she said. Now, this is from her Instagram. I'm looking at, at, an, at a news article with a screenshot of her Instagram page. And it says, the, in, the inspiration for my entrance, entrance was to represent women being on top of the world. Do you know what not one news source said that looked like? None of them said that looked like the top of the Empire State Building. Everyone said it looked like a stripper pole. 
Why? Because of what she did on the pole, the way she was dressed while she was dancing. I mean, listen, she can say, oh, that was my inspiration. This is my message to young girls. I want to empower young women. I want them to be known for their mind and their voices, and I want them to have these messages where they're heard around the world. I get that. But when you package it in a very revealing package in a salacious way and an over-the-top sexualized way, then the message then becomes, if you want your voice to be heard, you have to wear as little as possible. And that's what I have a huge problem with. I don't have an issue with performers using some kind of an opportunity they've been given to share their viewpoint. I mean, when else are they going to do it unless it's in like a news magazine or something? where it's just a sit-down article. But here, you know, she's got millions of people watching. I don't, I don't disagree with her using that as a platform for sharing her political message or sharing her encouragement to young women. But what I'm saying is the way that she presented it to the world had more to do with what she wasn't wearing and how she looked on that stage than anything that she had to say, and that's unfortunate. So there's been a lot of backlash. Uh, there's been a lot of uh, discussion, uh, you could say. In fact, uh, one of the other sides, you know, the support, came from Cameron Eubanks. Now, you may not know who Cameron Eubanks is. I did not. I had to look her up. But she is known, or her name's Cameron Eubanks, or on her Instagram page, as this news article shares that I'm, I'm looking at from peoplemagazine.com. Her Instagram is camwimberly1, and that is her Instagram page. But she posted a picture. And, oh, she's on Southern Charm. Maybe that's a TV show. I, I don't know. But anyway, this Cameron Eubanks uh, lady, is she's 36. She is on this show, Southern Charm. And she criticized people for criticizing Jennifer Lopez. Jennifer Lopez being 50 years old, you know, People Magazine said, listen, this performance had five outfit changes, a pole dancing routine, a tribute to Puerto Rico, and a surprise appearance from her own 11-year-old daughter, Emmy. Well, this Cameron Eubanks lady posted a picture of Jennifer Lopez sitting on a private jet in jeans, a sweater, and a big fur, big fur coat. And I'm not going to read it word for word because I'm going to clean it up a little bit. But she, camp, this uh, uh, Cameron Eubanks lady, with that picture, had this. She said, J-Lo flying home on her private jet, not caring what Nancy from Nebraska thinks of her halftime performance at the show. Now, that was the caption for this picture of Jennifer Lopez sitting on a private jet, looking out the window in jeans, a sweater, and a big fur coat. But then she wrote this. Cameron Eubanks wrote this. 
She says, didn't realize this would be so polarizing, talking about what she said about the picture. She said, um, there is genocide, war, famine, so many atrocities going on in the world we live in. The point is to not get your britches in a wad over a Super Bowl halftime performance. I think Jesus would agree. And y'all's husbands all liked it. Bye. Let me say a word to Miss Cameron Eubanks in case she's listening tonight. Uh, Jesus is concerned. And his concern is not specifically over Jennifer Lopez and a halftime show. His concern is the morality issue and the way in which our morals in our country and all over the world, how sin continues to be excused. And Jesus, who died to take away the sins of the world, is not going to sweep under the rug a sin of all of these things that you have celebrated, saying that Nancy from Nebraska is complaining about Jennifer Lopez's halftime show. Now listen, I saw something else. I saw something else that wa- that went out on uh, on the internet and and certainly made its rounds through social media. And it said the same women that are complaining about Jennifer Lopez this year were enjoying Adam Levine and Maroon Five without a shirt on last year during the halftime show. Last year's halftime show with a guy gyrating on stage without a shirt on, that's inappropriate. Two moms up on stage doing the same thing with very little clothing on, that's inappropriate. And Jesus does care about that. Because the Bible teaches us that God is holy and that we, as humanity, are not. And our problem is... We are enticed by the eyes, the as the Bible calls it, the lust of the flesh. And we want to see what is what we deem to be exciting, interesting, amazing. And for many, as they tuned in to the halftime show, they wholeheartedly agreed that what they were watching who they were watching, and how it was being presented was amazing. But there were so many that I know from either Facebook or Twitter, Christians, people in ministry, women who are wives of pastors or wives of ministers or Christian women who said, listen, that's, that show is not good for women. That show of two ladies, 143, 150 years old, dressing like that, doing what they were doing on stage, that's not good for women. And I wholeheartedly agree. That's why I didn't watch it. I can't remember the last... I honestly can't remember the last halftime show I've watched. This was as much of the Super Bowl that I've watched in a long time, only because we invited folks to watch the first half here together at church. And I'm going to just be honest, there were only about five people really watching the game in the, in, in, anyway. 
We had kids playing games. We had college students talking to each other. We had families that were interacting with each other and eating a lot of great food. We had a wonderful fellowship time. But when it came time for halftime, we shut that thing off because it's exactly the reason why I knew we didn't need to be watching it. And we weren't going to watch it. It didn't matter who was up on the stage or who was going to be performing. We weren't going to watch it at our church anyway. But this Cameron Eubanks lady, um, wow, she got a lot of she got a lot of comments. And as of right now, of course, you know, this was just the other day, but as of right now, she's got about 5,000 comments on that one picture of Jennifer Lopez and her response to it. And it has 144,000, almost 145,000 likes on Instagram and almost 5,000, if not more than 5,000 comments now. I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised at all uh, because, again, at the end of the day, we celebrate what we value. And when people value this type of entertainment, if that's what you want to call it, then this is what we get. Well, I have to say, before I get off of this topic, <laughs> and I re would really like to, but I knew I had lots of layers to the story that I, were, that I wanted to bring out. But one of the things that I said, you know, was mentioning just a little bit ago about the kind of the double standard of saying, well, we want to promote women and, you know, young girls and affirm them and all of that. And yet, you know, Jennifer Lopez and Shakira come out, you know, wearing very little and shaking all over the stage. What I found interesting, uh, one, uh, there was a couple of uh, memes, I guess, or, or, or pictures that were put side by side, and one of them said, in kind of in a joking way, you know, why are we making fun of Shakira and Jennifer Lopez for how they dressed? Because every single Sunday in the NFL, you have cheerleaders that are dressed just like that. And honestly, when you think about it, in a male-driven, male-dominated sport like football, not to say that women and ladies don't enjoy football because many of them do, but it's played by men, and the, the NFL is, and, and it's enjoyed by a majority. You know, the majority of people that enjoy the NFL are men. Then what you have is you have the objectification of women to appeal to men. Now, yes, there have been female cheerleaders for many, many years, some male cheerleaders that are able to jump and flip and, you know, pick the, pick the girls up and help them with the tumbling and the pyramid and all of that kind of stuff. But let's be honest, the NFL cheerleaders are really there to dance and to grab the attention of those that are in the stands and those that are watching, and they dress just the same. Now, one article that I read said, well, here we go. Now we've got all these pro-lifers 
that are jumping out of the woodwork, all of these prudes, all of these moms that are mad, who enjoyed Maroon 5 last year and men with no shirts on, and now they're mad because their mom bods don't look like Jennifer Lopez and Shakira. And maybe there's an element to that that's true. I don't know. I haven't interviewed any of them. I have no idea. But I tell you what is disheartening about putting all pro-lifers in one group and saying, well, all of these pro-lifers, uh, all of these right-wing people, all of these uh, you know, pro-Trump people, they're all the same and they're all prudes and they're all this or that, however you want to classify them. And, you know, let's throw conservatives and Christians and, you know, people with morals, let's throw them in the same bunch. And let's just put them in the corner and just tell them to be quiet. This is a halftime show. It's all for entertainment. But I, I bet you didn't know that there was an attempt to have at least one commercial, if not more than one, pro-life, anti-abortion commercial during halftime. Wouldn't have been the first time. But it was going to or, or was promoted as something that was supposed to happen. But Fox Sports said two things. Number one, hey, sorry, all of our time slots sold out. We don't have any available for any conservatives, anti-abortion, pro-life commercials. They also sent out a press release that said, yeah, but even if we did, it's too controversial. Anti-abortion, pro-life commercials, they're too controversial, and so we're not going to put that on during the Super Bowl. Controversial, pushing the envelope, too graphic, depends on who you're talking to, but you could use a lot of those same words, if not all of those words, for the halftime show. And then some of the same people that had no issue with the halftime show would say the same thing about an anti-abortion, pro-life commercial. As always, let me say, the real issue has nothing to do with who dances and performs on a stage and what they wear. That's a symptom of the problem. The real issue is not whether or not an anti-abortion pro-life commercial got on the television during the Super Bowl. That's a symptom of the problem. And calling those kinds of commercials controversial, that's a symptom of the problem. Putting all kinds of sexual overtones, pole dancing, skimpy outfits, all of that kind of stuff, degrading women, objectifying women, out of one side of your mouth and then saying we're doing this to promote and put women on a platform and lift them up. That's a not only a double standard, but that's a symptom of the problem. That's not the real issue. Even I would go so far as to say the sex trafficking issue during the Super Bowl, that's not the only problem. That's a symptom of the problem. All of these things that, I'm, that I just mentioned are issues, they are problems, but they are not the problem. 
They are symptoms of the problem. They are results of the problem. And they are problems that are created by the number one problem. And that is, simply put, we're not in line with the Word of God because we have a sinful nature. Now listen, this show is called What's the Word with Randy Johnson. That's me. So you get my opinion and you get my insight and my opinion and my insight is clearly this. Until we have a mind and a heart and a life and a body that is given over to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, all of us are going to struggle with sin. We may not all struggle with the same sin the same way. There are some people that really struggle with certain addictions. There are some people that really struggle with certain issues, with certain temptations. And other people say, hey, that's not my deal. That's not my problem. I don't struggle with that. And maybe they don't. But the problem that all of us have is very simply this. Until we come to that moment when we turn from our sin and our selfishness, give our life, our mind, our heart, all of our bodies and all of its functions over to the Lordship of Jesus and say to him, whatever you want me to do, however you want me to behave, whatever you want me to see, whatever you want me to say, however you want me to respond, that's what I'm going to do. Until we reach that moment, we are all going to struggle with sin on some level and in some way. And it's going to seem like our own life is a double standard. In fact, I've never met a Christian one time in my life who I would honestly say was perfect. Not one. I've met some that are closer to the mark than others, but I've never met a follower of Jesus that I thought was perfect. I have met people that struggle with certain sins, certain addictions, certain temptations, certain issue. And because of that, they say, oh, listen, I'm the worst person on the planet. No, you're not. You may be as sinful as you want to be, or you may want to be more sinful than you are, and you struggle with that. But it doesn't make you the worst person on the planet. It just makes you human. And because we all have the same human condition, thanks be to God, there is the same solution. And that is the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And the only way that Jesus can be Lord of our life is if we yield our life to him, confess our need to him as our Savior to save us and rescue us from sin, and then to yield our life, our body, our heart, our mind, and every function of our body over to his Lordship and then do exactly as he leads. I ask little kids this all the time when I'm sharing the gospel with them, and I talk about Jesus being the Lord of their life. I look at them and I say, do you know what that means? That means that Jesus is in charge. He gets to tell you what to do. And then I look at those kids. Sometimes I do this with adults, with big people too. And I look at those kids and I say, now nobody likes to be told what to do. Nobody likes to be told how to behave, where to sit, where to stand, what to say, what they shouldn't say. Everybody wants to do what they want to do. Why would any person 
want Jesus to be the Lord of their life. And before they can answer, I tell them, because Jesus will always lead you to do what's right. Jesus will never lead you away from God. He will always lead you to God. Jesus will never lead you away from the Word of God. He will always lead you toward the Word of God. Jesus will never lead you away from the fruits of the Holy Spirit. Jesus will lead you to bear the fruits of the Holy Spirit. And so until we get to that moment, every person on the planet, until we get to that moment where Jesus is everything, and our life and our body and everything that we are yields to him, we're all going to struggle. And so again, every Christian that I've ever met is in themselves a hypocrite and a double standard because they are constantly at war, as the Bible describes in Galatians chapter 5, always at war between the flesh and the spirit. But we know that the Holy Spirit, the greater is he that is in us and he that's in the world. And so if we will yield ourselves to the Holy Spirit and abstain from things of the flesh, then we know that we will find victory in Christ and we, we can be victorious over sin. But you see, this, this past weekend with the Super Bowl and the party and, 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 and I mean the halftime show and all of these layers of all of this stuff that, that went in it and, and messages being shared and double standards and objectifying and all of that stuff is not the number one problem. They might be number two, number three, number four, and on down the list. But the number one problem, the primary issue is the issue of sin, temptation, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, desiring what we want. I think two of the greatest verses in all of the Bible are Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Because in those two verses, the Bible reminds us to run the race with endurance by fixing our eyes on Jesus. And it says, lay aside the sin that so easily entangles so that you can run well. Now I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but those verses are tremendous. Because it's not one sin that trips us all up, but when the author of Hebrews says the sin that easily entangles you, he says the sin that you find easiest around you. And it may be different for you, it may be different for me, but there is something that you find that is easily around you that will trip you up if you don't take it away and throw it away and get it out of your life. And that's just my encouragement to you today. Whatever it is that trips you up, whatever sin and temptation that you find easily around you, take it away. Throw it in the trash. Turn it off. Get rid of it. Put distance between you and whatever that is so that your heart, your mind, your body can be pure. Your relationship with Christ can be all that it needs to be. I'm preaching on Sunday morning through the book of Judges. It's been a great study already of human behavior, but how God comes to our rescue when we need it the most. I want to encourage you to be here Sunday mornings at 9 a.m., at Columbia Baptist Church at 201 Greensburg Street, right here in the heart of Adair County, right off the square here in Columbia. We would love to have you be a part of what God is doing at Columbia Baptist Church. So you come out this Sunday.
Find me and tell me that you are a faithful listener of this show. And I appreciate you joining me tonight. I hope that you have a great rest of the week and an amazing weekend. And would hope to see you Sunday morning at Columbia Baptist Church. Thank you for joining me tonight. Hey, this is Pastor Randy Johnson. Thank you so much for joining me for What's the Word? That show airs every Wednesday night at 6 o'clock on 101.9 WAIN, right here in the heart of Adair County in Columbia, Kentucky. Or you can catch the replay of What's the Word on my podcast, which is called Walk This Way. And you can find that in several different places. You can find it at anchor.fm backslash walkthisway on the internet, or you can find it on different apps and, and places that carry podcasts like iTunes, Spotify, Pocket Cast, and all sorts of Uh, places. You can find this broadcast. You can find messages that I've preached. And I just want to encourage you to make it a point to tune in, subscribe, and listen to all sorts of content that's on my podcast, which is called, again, Walk This Way. Thank you so much for joining me.